it's like, where's the bitterness going to get you? Yeah. Right. Like support can light a fire within yourself. Like that. Wow. Can, can light a fire within yourself to, to be better, but to be bitter or like, uh, they won again. Like that's not going to help anybody. It's not going to, it's not going to make you feel better as a human being. Kyle McFarland is back for the second time on the podcast. We discuss how his race season has been going as well as the season for his athletes at White Pine Athletics. We talk a lot about the bike community, especially around the gravel scene and what's currently happening on the pro stage within the sport. We spend some time talking about the mental health side of the sport and some ways we have managed it and how he coaches his junior riders as they navigate their relationship with the bike. It's really good to catch up with Kyle after a busy summer for both of us and hope we all enjoy this one. Well, uh, how the hell are you, man? I'm good. I feel like I uh, kind of like run a little ragged at this point. Like the, the end of the season's always kind of chaotic, but yeah, this is what like two more months really. I've got three more races, so I've got BWR this weekend. I get a week off, and then I've got Gravel Nationals, and then the next weekend is Wasatch All Road. Okay, and where's uh, Gravel Nationals at? Uh, Gearing, Nebraska, like Gearing, Scotts Bluff. So um, in the, what is that, southwest corner of Nebraska, like on the Colorado-Wyoming border. How's the uh, gravel out there? Is it pretty fast? I think it is. They or keep is it? talking it up as this. So I've done, it's the same course or the same area as the Robody Rendezvous, which I've gone out to a few years. Um, and this year was the one they canceled it because we had tornadoes yeah. the night before. Um, I always thought like they've talked it up as this, like, oh, it's, it's technical. It's rough. It's, you know, rugged wild west gravel. I think it's the fastest rolling gravel I've ever ridden. Oh, like I've always gone out with two sets of wheels with this like super treaded, like file tread Yeah, and like 40 mil slicks. And I've always gone to the 40 mil slicks. Like it's the best gravel I've ever, Jeez. fastest gravel I've ever so ridden. So they're just soft. Apparently, just- <laughs> I think Utah is just hard. Like everywhere I've ever gone that talks about Utah uh, gravel is pretty bad. Do like Silver Rush, uh, fifty mountain bike race. Mm-hmm. That's Utah gravel, and they're like, this is a technical, like steep, like the most techie gravel or mountain bike race on the calendar. And I'm like, we do this on drop bars in Utah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of scared for the. Uh, it's looking like I'm going to be doing the stupid pony. Oh, nice. Are you going to do the two hundred? Yeah, sweet. Yeah. So anyone who doesn't know, it's two hundred mile gravel from. Like Lehigh to Wendover. Yep. That one is hard too. Yeah. I've never raced it, but that terrain is not great. It's rough, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm pretty terrified, but I just got to do. Just throw some fat tires on. You'll be like, honestly, the, the wider the tires, the better on that. There's so much sand. Would you run like 45s or 40s? Minimum. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. If you find the right 45, dude, I was about to, I was about to go run out there with my 38 Pathfinders. Ooh, no. <laughs> dude if it was um i mean i did the salty lizard on 38s yeah. last year and the sand was pretty brutal well and from what i hear there's sectors of like washboard that are just hours long um and i could be wrong and i, f- I think it changes every year and with all the weird weather and moisture we've had who knows um but if i i, I for no reason whatsoever i just don't believe in 650b wheels i don't i mm-hmm. i have zero proof as to why I don't like them. I just don't yeah. like them. But I feel like 650B with like 50 mil would be money for that course. Hmm. Well, I guess I'm going to have to do uh, 
<laughs> switching up on my game plan for there that you one. Go. <laughs> well, yeah. So, like, how was the the season? Because we sat down together. Jeez, I don't even know when that was. It's been a minute. It's been a long time. Yeah, uh, it's good. Seasons. It's always interesting being approaching the season as like a coach and an athlete, mm-hmm. um, because I feel like it's it's very much so like two different hats, and they don't complement each other very well. Part of me wants to be this like athlete who trains like a monk and performs super well in race day oh, and okay. can like plan everything. Yeah. And the other half of me is just like waiting for something to explode and like having to triage it. And I think the number of like race weeks that I've had go to plan from an athlete perspective for yeah. me is zero. Like something uh, and it's it's just yeah. it's the the name of the game, but from the coaching side of things, the season's gone really well. We've had a lot of our athletes do some pretty like big events for themselves and mm-hmm. like really step out of their comfort zone and we've done a lot of like development work to to like kind of stretch their their abilities and it's been a cool season. Oh, sweet. It's been cool to watch. Cuz how many athletes do you have kind of locally, I guess? Oh man. Like maybe 25 here, I think. Okay. Um, we've got athletes like in Colorado, California, Texas, Montana. Mm-hmm. So, um, and we all kind of try to meet up here and there whenever we can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been cool. We've got a bunch of like XC mountain bike riders that are stretching out their abilities and like doing a bunch of, in, in, I almost say enduro. That's my, my brain says enduro to endurance, but they're not, it's, they're doing a bunch of endurance events. Okay. Um, so really just like working with them to develop their engine yeah. completely differently than, than in the past. Cool. So are they mostly mountain bikers? Sorry. Um, I'd say 80% okay. are, are mountain. The rest are uh, a split between road gravel mountain. Okay. Yeah. So kind of what was – I saw a bunch of you at uh, Leadville. Yeah, I think we had seven of us there total okay. in Leadville. And how how gnarly is that race? Um. Cause it's on like my three year radar. Like next yeah. year I'm getting a bike, a mountain bike. That's a good start. And then I'll just start. Cause I have a pretty good engine base wise. Yep. Um, yeah, I just got to get the mountain bike stuff going again. But so I didn't think the course was that bad. And that either tells me that like, I didn't have the fitness to make it hard, I guess, oh, okay. or I went into it with good enough fitness and a conservative enough pacing approach that I, I didn't think it was that hard. Okay. Um, I think it's broken down into, let's see, five total sectors, like basically five climbs. There's mm-hmm. power line, um, or Carter summit, power line, Columbine, and then you go through the first two again on yeah. the way back. Um, and really like I wouldn't say there was anything particularly gnarly from a technical standpoint like you're bombing power line at maybe like 45 miles an hour which is you know spooky but not hard yeah um and then it's not too technical I mean no, if you're like, allowing yourself to go up to 45 it's got to be pretty for sure I would say 90 percent of the course you could do on a gravel bike huh and I, air quotes could could like do you, would you want to i don't i don't know yeah. maybe not like columbine i think would be rad on a gravel bike okay um but i will say 
while I didn't find it that hard um, or that that technical, technical. of a course, um, it was the best race atmosphere I've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. Like you see uh, the Tour de France when you're like on, you know, like a um, Ventoux or some of those mountaintop finishes and there's like a thousand people lining the side of the road. Like that's yeah. the entirety of Leadville. Uh -huh. um, like there was a, a Belgian squad that had hiked, I'm guessing it probably took them an hour Jeez. to get to the top of like power line and they're up there with like a ghetto blaster playing like uh you know crazy euro techno and they're pushing <sighs> nice. riders and they're yelling at people yeah. and and like just the whole vibe of the race was amazing uh like nothing i've ever done yeah i that was my first time out there i mean i just hang around the finish yeah um and that was one of the coolest finishes and just crowd yeah like cheering everyone Dude, it's in. insane and then like there were so many people crying after I was like, is this like that big of a, I've race? never seen so like, many people crying and vomiting at a finish I didn't line. See any vomiting, <laughs> there was an absurd amount of, of tears. <laughs> but like, I just, I guess I didn't know kind of the, the weight of that race. Cause like, yeah. I mean, like I cried after Lodajah the first time, mm -hmm. like that was such a huge like barrier for me for like, sure. doing that. And then, I guess Leadville is that in, well, for a lot of sense because it's so. Yeah. And similar to Lodija, you have so much time to know that you're doing it and to mm -hmm. prepare for it and to build it up in your mind or tear yourself down in your mind, you yeah. know, like on the opposite side of that. Like the the lottery opens in December and best case you get in in the lottery in January. Okay. And then you have January through August to like spiral and train and get injured and race and yeah. make comebacks and, and like have these epic bonks. So like you have this, this like, you know, Greek epic in your mind of what Leadville is going to be. And, and, and this is where I, I feel bad saying it's not hard because it is very much so hard. Mm -hmm. Um, well, and you're just in the saddle for what, what's the average? I mean, time? that's, I don't know, man. So Nine like hours? the, the, the cutoff is 12. Okay. And from what I understand, there's a lot of a lot of folks who didn't make that that 12 hour cutoff. Um, so anything under 12 hours, you get the a belt buckle, yep. and anything under nine, you get the big boy buckle. Um, so breaking nine is like pretty difficult. Um, I would say or, so. Okay. I I'm mad. I came in at 902.30, oh. which is where like, and this is again like why I feel weird saying it's it's not hard because. You know, as I was coming across, so my wife was there and our other coach, Corbin, was at the finish line. He had already finished. And he's like, man, he's going to come across the line and just, like, collapse. He's going to be he's going to be destroyed. Like, just yeah. be prepared. He's going to be dead. And I came across and I was like, that was the coolest thing I've ever done. Like, I can't wait to do that again. So, like, just purely based on my mood, I was like, I, I, I went too easy. Yeah. I was too conservative. Dug a little. For sure. More. So, I think had I been a little more aggressive, I would maybe say that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But, uh -huh. um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, people are finishing 12 hours, hopefully between nine and 12 mm -hmm. and it is super emotional. Like, yeah. Cause like in training up for something like that, rarely do you ever do, you ever. know, a hundred percent of what the race I is I would going never to be. prescribe that to my athlete ever. Yeah. That would be horrible. And that's like everything I've heard, like whether it's like you only do like 60 or 70 percent of what your course is mm -hmm. like i never would have gone out and done a 200 mile ride to train right. for loaded shot like that's for just sure. too much well and, and i think what what adds to the emotional level of that race is that 
you are out there largely alone, right? Mm -hmm. For such a long time. And you have these literal peaks and valleys that you're, you're just experiencing like every emotion on the spectrum um, from, oh my God, I can't believe I'm out here. This is amazing. Like, oh, I just saw Keegan go by, like people are flipping out to like, man, I haven't seen another person on their bike in 10 minutes. Like it's raining. My bike computer's telling me I'm at 16% gradient. Like, what am I doing out here? To then like the nutrition bonk, like that's a race where you can bonk like five times and and still come back. So it's like (laughs) you add that to the already emotional like roller coaster of that ride and it's, it's a freaking day. So, oh, man, I'm but excited. if it's on your radar, man, don't wait three years. Just let's do it. True. I mean, I'll be getting the XC bike next year, so maybe I should just sign up for it. Yeah. Get in the lottery. There's a few, like, uh, what are they called? Um, they have qualifying races, qualifying races right? Yeah. And so Which, what do those, I've had a bunch of people ask me about kind of signing up for Ludville and I don't really know. So to go qualify for these races, you have to do a certain time at certain races so each race gets the uh, certain number of coins these like tokens essentially um, each category if I remember correctly is you get X number of coins based on the number of people in that category like how how big of a percentage the total field it is okay. but it's not that much like each event might get 50 and I think 25 of those tokens go to top finishers of respective categories and that may only be the top one to top three. Um, so it's not oh. absurd. So you've got to be pretty fit, I feel yeah. like. The other 25 are lotteried, so they basically will just pull a name out of a hat, and mm. hopefully that that's your name. Um, so like I went and did, I, I was a little cocky, and it was really unfounded. Like I went to uh, Silver Rush 50. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm gonna qualify for Leadville because you know everyone says it's so hard that no one signs up for it, so I've got a super good chance. I got smoked. Like it was hard. I would say that race, that 50 miler is harder than Leadville. Jeez. Um, So I did not qualify Uh for Leadville through that race. So, um, but there's a ton of options. There's like the Austin Rattler, um, Tahoe Trail 100, uh, things like that. The hard part for a lot of folks is those races are so close to the event that like itself that it's hard to plan, I guess. Got it. Like Tahoe's maybe a month prior to Leadville. Oh, geez. That's so it's so, like, yeah, you kind of still have to train all season. Like you're racing like Leadville you're and, go, and then uh, hope you can get in. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, I really want to get into the, the endurance cross country stuff. Dude. It's so Cause fun. I love like, man, I love being on the bike, the gravel bike and mm-hmm. road bike for like 10 hours. Yeah. Like, I love it. So I think, yeah, maybe I'm just going to get my ass kicked when I get on the dirt. But uh, I feel like I can sit on a bike for a long time. Yeah, and so I mean, I'm it's to... a comfier bike. It's squishy, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's not getting rattled yeah, all it's, day. Oh, it's great. There's like, I'm I'm not going to, uh, but Wasatch All Road, like, I feel like that course would be faster and smoother and more enjoyable on a mountain bike. Really? I think so. But everyone does it on a gravel bike. Yeah, because it's marketed as a gravel race. Oh. Right? So it's like this weird invisible line where it's like, no, it's a gravel race, so I'm not going to do it on a mountain bike. Huh. And it's a – I ride for Ventum. It's Mm -hmm. it's a Ventum-sponsored race, so I just feel like it would be a really big dick move if I showed up on a mountain bike. (laughs) Otherwise, I would 100% do it on my mountain bike. Huh. 
Yeah, the uh, the salty lizard out there, like all those, there's probably like a quarter of the fields on a mountain bike. Dude, if you had a hardtail, uh, I feel like a hardtail with like 100 mil travel, uh, you could even put, if you really wanted to, you could put drop bars on it. I know mm-hmm. there's a kid, like a young junior who did that last season, uh, drop bars and like, I know this is uh, controversial, but like aero bars. That would be the perfect rig for salty level salty lizard yeah i think yeah it wasn't because i just did the 64 miler course last year mm-hmm. and i mean it was pretty fast and there's some washboard and sand but i mean the guys on the mountain bikes just got dropped so did bad they? yeah it's got to be the right bike too yeah like if you're out there on like a, a fat bike or you know like a steel frame uh-huh. but if you're on like i'm riding a epic evo maybe weighs like two pounds more than my gravel oh, bike and that's it's not like that pretty, much yeah and it's if you're running you could run narrower tires and i think it'd be i mean maybe i'm totally wrong but i feel like it'd be just about as quick mm. for sure interesting less arrow but so kind of what were your thoughts on uh keegan swenson's just obliteration of that record man uh <laughs> obliteration is the right word to use um I think we were rolling into the Twin Lakes alternate aid station, uh, mm-hmm. like a group of maybe five or six of us. And we hadn't seen any of the pros yet. And I asked somebody, I was like, yeah, like when do we, when do you think we're going to see the front of the race? And they're like, oh, not till halfway up Columbine. So maybe another like five miles, four miles. Literally like three seconds later, just Keegan comes blasting past us by himself, just yeah. totally solo. And everyone was like, whoa, shit. Like I've never seen a pro this early in the race Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of just like keeping an eye out and I'm looking I'm like I don't see anybody else and we like turn on to the main drag for the Twin Lake like aid alternate aid station I'm like man I still don't see anybody maybe like 10 minutes later I see Lachlan and I was like man Keegan's got this early he's got at least a 10-15 minute gap yeah unreal yeah I remember being at like I was just at the finish all day and they were just sending splits back Mm -hmm. all day and everyone at the finish, every time a split would come in and they'd give Keegan's time and like what he was up on pace to do the record in, we were just like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) Like everyone at the finish was just like dumbfounded. I I remember pulling into the pipeline aid station and I like grabbed my gels and I remember asking my wife, I was like, first of all, like, how are our people doing? Yeah. Like how are our athletes? So I got an update and then our other coach's dad was just like, do you want to know how Keegan's doing? And I was like, yeah, what's going on? He's like, he's got a 20 minute gap on second. Yeah. And that kind of like a blew my mind, but B kind of motivated me and like lit me up mm-hmm. for the next little portion of the race. Cause I was like, dude, 20 minutes. Like if he can do this and he can put a 20 minute back gap on Alexi, like, the All best right, like, people yeah i'm like yeah. i can i can get up this climb i'll be okay like yeah like we photographed him coming across and then yeah we just sat there for like a half an hour <laughs> and then second and then there's the race seriously i think it was, it was uh 24 minutes 24. Yeah. it's insane yeah that was quite quite the feat and then he just you know casually sweeps the floor at steamboat this weekend yeah yeah another attacking round. seven miles in to 140 mile day yeah after the race i think it was lachlan's post says uh he said the only person that could have given keen a run for his money was sepkus 
Yeah. Like in the world. Yeah, which I would love to watch that. Do you think any of those guys will – I guess what, what's your prediction on kind of the, the scene here? Because in my mind, I don't think Keegan's going to lose a race for years I unless think, there's a mechanical. I was going to say, like, you know, God forbid, I think it would take a mechan- – like a, a pretty bad mechanical or injury yeah. to, or like a crash to take him out of contention um, just with the way that he, like, prepares for races and his, his mindset. Um I think he's going to be a pretty dominant force for a minute. For a long time. Um, and I don't think I, – I think we're starting to see more pros from Europe come across to the space, mm-hmm. but I, financially I don't think it's – you know, I don't want to speak for Sepp obviously, but he would have to – his preparation would have to change so much. Oh, like yeah. would you throw away, you know, stage wins at the tour to go race Leadville? Which he's done, like he's raced Leadville. Oh, he has. Like, yeah, yeah. Because oh. he's from Durango. Yeah. Um, from, yeah. And he has a background in mountain biking, but it's like a lot of those athletes, like the preparation leading into the tour and the Giro and Vuelta, like to to put a pause on that to be like, I'm gonna go see if I can beat Keegan. Well, and the paycheck. Right. Like. Yeah. He's getting paid a good amount from Yumbo. For sure. So I mean, I don't know. I think. Um, I think eventually we'll start to see more people come across into this space. Um, and I think like Sagan's a really good example, like him retiring from the world tour. And is he going to be racing here a little bit? So he's, um, retired from world tour and he's signed with specialized factory, like their mountain bike program. Oh, cool. So total prediction. Like I don't, I don't know Pete. Yeah. Uh, I think he's going to, my guess is he'll come do more like unbound and, um, some of like the UCI mountain bike stuff. But I think it's, I think uh, it's kind of a retirement plan mm-hmm. for a lot of the pros, which is weird to say because <laughs> it's like, oh, man, I'm done with this super hard, gnarly career. I think I'm going to go race gravel and, and just clean up In there. The States, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wonder how, what that will change, kind of the racing format. Because, like, if you get a field of 40 dudes that are, you know, ex-pro world tour guys, because I just keep thinking of how – big of a shit show the finish was at unbound oh man like you can't have that i think it's either going to make it vastly more exciting or significantly more boring bringing all the like all these pros in it'll either like again like keegan attacks seven miles into steamboat like who would have ever suspected that yeah right like that's normally it's like oh we'll race for 100 miles or 80 miles we'll we'll do we'll kind of slim the field down and then someone will make an attack and we'll try to bridge but maybe it'll be a sprint he's just like meh i'm gonna attack seven miles in and just see what happens like that's that's cool that can either continue i think with the introduction of more like world tour pros or we start to see world tour like team tactics where it's like there are teams showing up to gravel races and like dominating and and dictating tactics and paces and stuff like that, which I, I hope isn't the case. Yeah. But takes a lot of what gravel is here a little bit. Yeah. Which I mean, man, that's a whole, yeah, there's so much controversy already around spirit of gravel. Yes, there is. uh, But as we keep getting like the, the prize purses keep getting bigger. Uh I think we're only going to start seeing more, talent in the in the field and more teams like yeah well it's pretty wild to see i think the biggest difference i've seen in the races oh geez um (laughs) like was that unbound they give the pros coming in and they get off their bike and then their team is like power washing everything Mm -hmm. give them the new bag and if you're not in the top 20 like you don't have that 
Right. Like, well, and even like to another extent, Leadville, like um, Keegan had Tobin like working for him. Yeah. Which like is the first, awesome. Yeah. Like that's, if you can, if you can dictate that as a race favorite and say, Hey, like I'm going to have this guy, like absolutely drive the pace in the first however many miles and just shatter as many legs as possible. And then mm-hmm. I'm going to go do my thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but then it's like when that becomes a 10 man team, does that change the perception that we all have about that tactic? Yeah. Like when it becomes this, at what point does, does Keegan have to become a dominating, such a dominating force or force that we're now like anti Keegan him or yeah, exactly. Yeah. It definitely changes a lot. Cause it is all about just kind of the, kind of the, the, the hero. Like there's just, it's one dude. And it's how much can he just dig and suffer in all these races. Like gravel's just about you're just on the solo feet to go do something amazing. Yeah. I mean, we haven't had, I don't think we've had a force this dominant on the bike since Lance. And, um, I think as an American or as an American. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah for sure. And I, I think that's awesome. I think he has a lot of potential to make really um, affect really big change, like in the sport in the U S mm-hmm. similar to Lance. So I, I think he's got a, a cool platform to do that. And I'm, I'm super stoked to watch it. Yeah. I love seeing everything just kind of grow and grow. Maybe it's just cause I'm in it and maybe it's not growing as much as I think it is, but I feel like every race I go to, like everything I'm seeing on social media, it's just more and more people like getting bikes for the first time, yeah. and, like starting to like venture out and do things. And I think it's such an awesome such an awesome environment for people to like get in on and like stay healthy in their life and build this community of man it's awesome gravel and bikes are just great well and even like we did the maybe a month ago i did mirror lake road race Mm -hmm. here in in like the salt lake area and um the cat four novice like cat five uh category was actually pretty big i think between the the two different fields I mean, I say pretty big, like air quotes again, but like, I think we maybe had 50, 60 riders just in that, that pretty four big. novice. Yeah. Cat four group. Considering that last year I would have said road is like 90% dead in Utah. Yeah. So. Huh. Yeah. Cause the, uh, the Bear Lake race. Yeah. That cat four, we probably had 30 to 40 dudes off the start. Nice. Um, quite a few crashed out in the first like, <laughs> man and if you want to talk about and that's what's get it's also terrifying for sure <laughs> if you want to talk about tactics though that that were uh, maybe controversial or annoying the the mirror lake road race yeah so it's 150 miles right you that's race from camas up the mirror lake highway into evanston wyoming and mm-hmm. then you come down uh, Chalk Creek and then back into Camas. Okay. Super cool loop. It's got maybe just shy of 8,000 feet of climbing. Um, but it's all in that first like 40 miles basically. Mm. Um, and then you get a massive, almost like hour long descent. It feels like into, into Wyoming. It's and a pretty fast. Yeah. Race. And last year there was a, a dirty attack at like mile 30. So we're still on the first climb, not even to the summit. Yeah. And this guy rolls up to us as a group, and, and I think the front group was maybe 20 of us. And he's like, anyone got a pee? Like, let's let's just organize. Let's decide right now. We're going to do a pee break. Oh, and I was like, all right, cool. This yeah. is, I'm like, I actually really have to yeah. pee. So sitting there, and he 
gets everyone together. We got 20, like 20 of us that are like, yep, yeah, let's pull off. And out of the corner of my eye, I just see him shoot past me and he attacks. The guy who asked yes, for the Yes, the guy break? that like organized this. So didn't, no one, no, nobody pulled over. What a And bastard. I don't know if something happened <laughs> from a communication standpoint mm, later, like somewhere else maybe, in the Peloton. Yeah. And like someone maybe like said something and he was like, screw this. But I was like, literally we're all caught with our pants down, like waiting, you literally. know, waiting for this, this pull off. And rather than everyone respond as a field and like make the, the coherent and group decision like hey we're going to chase this yeah. guy it was like one guy after another like one dude would attack and try to to bridge up and then one other like a minute later so every it basically just blew the field to shreds and then that guy ended up dnfing at like mile 100 oh. something so i was super annoyed so i went into it this year i was like i'm going to talk to everybody yeah i'm going to be like this like messenger of peace in the category. And I'm going to say, Hey, there's 150 miles. Like, can we just chill out for a minute? And like, let's, let's work together. Yeah. Like, there's no reason for no. us to just to, I was like, can we not attack on the first, like on the climb, right? Like the yeah, first yeah. 40 miles, let's, no need, let's do a truce. No need, let's guys. roll fast. It's like, it's not that steep. So realistically, if we roll as a group, we're going to be faster. Yeah. Um, and so I'm talking with this other guy and he's like, yeah, no, I totally agree. Like, well, I think keep it together. The the race doesn't start till mile hundred, right? Like let's yeah. just race that last fifty. And I'm like, that's a great idea. Like that's fantastic. Mile fifteen, like every time I would rotate to the front to take a pull, this dude would just bomb, like throw down this massive attack. And I look down, I'm like, all right, I'm doing 800 watts to bridge up to this guy <laughs> after my turn on the front. And I'm just getting so grumpy. And I'm like, we had a truce, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I catch him at the top of the climb. And he's like, oh, are we all going to stop and fill bottles? And I'm like, yeah, cool. Let's fill bottles at this feed. And he just rolls it and keeps going and doesn't. And I'm like still filling my bottle. And I'm like, dirty. And then same thing, mile 90. I see him riding solo on the side of the road, his head like down. And he was dead. Good. Couldn't. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's just like, oh, man, like these dirty tactics, you know? Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I mean, it's just like competitiveness, I think, of guys who like want to win and. That's like, the thing, yeah, like man, the, you took that cat for 15, first 15 miles real serious. Like, And yeah, I guess it's just like chalked up to low race IQ. Cause like road racing's yeah. a whole other like beast when it comes to, yeah, working together, sticking together. And there's no point. So you think you're going to ride solo for five hours? Yeah. Are you going to be off the front? Like, especially in a course that has that much wind and that much like flat and just barely like kind of false flat descent style like you get in a group and you're rotating at like 27 miles an hour versus yeah. by yourself in the wind doing like 19 like yeah use your brain <laughs> yeah there was a guy i mean this was just absolutely impressive in lodaja last year uh i think he's in the cat three fast dudes in that race and i think he took put an attack at like mile 50 and he kept it solo that's it and one that's and cool that was i mean if you if you catch him right in the right spot uh-huh. like there's there's that mentality in the group it was like 50 miles into 200 they're like oh he's gonna pop we don't need to chase yeah. him right i mean that's what i would think totally so like yeah I, I can i see the appeal sometimes to being like they're gonna think i'm gonna pop or explode and that, they're just gonna guy, give me some leash and that guy was on his shit that day that's awesome to break from that far and hold and 
yeah, that, he was an animal. Because I remember, because I did the relay last year. Mm. And so, like, I remember ta- passing off at, like, mile 130. And my dad was like, yeah, the front guy just came in from Cat 3, and he's already through. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Damn. That's like, awesome. That was, yeah, quite the feat. What a cool sport. Right. It's a ton of fun. And it is fun to, like, kind of work and the strategy. I mean, the only race I've done, which is really sad this year, was the Bear Lake one. Yeah. And that's just there's no teams there really but then like halfway through the group was kind of like talking like oh these three dudes are working for this one guy mm-hmm. today and then i was like oh those bastards because i'm there <laughs> alone so i'm like oh, for well, sure i'm not gonna you know i'm yep. gonna milk this that's part day. of the reason i didn't go too. like it from a training perspective it it made zero sense uh-huh. for me to have that on my calendar but I, it's a race i haven't done yet so i really want to go do it it's fun it's fast yeah but then I look at the there the number of people there either on the same team or in the same club, uh-huh. and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna be by myself working against fifty people yep. that are maybe like a couple groups of five, and it's like I can blow myself up mm-hmm. trying to like attack or trying to stick with those groups or just keep getting caught out from them. But like, like meh, I'll go back when I have friends maybe. <laughs> Yeah, it was fun because I think there was just that one group and then everyone was just kind of trying to stick with them, really. And there was, like, a few breaks that tried to go. But, I mean, no one's that good in a Cat 4 race. And so to, like, hold a break alone. I think two years ago it happened. I want to say, I can't remember. I think it's a guy named Seth, maybe, on the Ascent team. I think he went, like, went basically like 73 year? miles solo. Damn. Or 93, something like that. That's yeah. crazy. I think maybe him and two other guys. Jeez. Yeah, I only so. did the 50-miler. And so it all, like, stuck together. And there was a game plan. Like, I knew, like, one kid there. Mm-hmm. And then he had some friends. And then there was some talk of coming in that they would lead me out with, oh, like, yeah. 15 miles to go. But then we were getting close to that, and I rode up next to him, and I looked at him. He was like, dude, I'm done. Like, <laughs> I'm having a hard Mission time holding the wheel. I was like, damn it. Yeah, but then coming in, like, headwind the last couple of miles, and then no one wants to sit on the front. Yep. I'm there alone, so I'm like, I'm not doing this. And I remember just, like, I kept checking and, like, flicking the elbow, and no one was coming. Oh. And uh, I was just, like, in the wind for a while, so I got out into, like, the middle of the road, like, on the yellow line. And then just like hit my brakes <laughs> and just shot to the shoulder and just like force them. I probably went down to like 12 miles an hour. It's like, well, you're pulling now. I was like, you <laughs> bastards. Like, I will not do this. But that one was super fun. It was oh, good to get. Awesome. Good to get a win. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so you got BWR coming up. Yep. Yeah, I drive out tomorrow morning. Should be fun. So by the time this comes out, people will know if I did well or detonated. <laughs> and so that one, that's a pretty like, chonky, isn't they changed, that pretty brutal? Yeah, they changed the course this year. Um, so now there's two single track sectors, uh, one maybe halfway through and one like, man, like 10 miles, five miles from the finish, something like that. So um, it's a cool course though. Like it's uh, it's got a lot of sand mm-hmm. and it's it's – destructive sand like it's, so what bike it's, you riding uh, i'll be on the gs1 okay the Ventum gs1 and yeah. i'll run 
I'm on the fence right now. Uh, in the past, I've run 40 mil, like really light file tread, like almost road tires. Yeah. Um, this year I might run 45 millimeter. I run the Kendo Alluvium. So like a, a little denser file tread on the top with side knobs. Okay. I'm hoping that'll let me just kind of float on the sand. Um, Cause they're, man, the sandy sections are like carnage at this race. Like it's, it's like four inches deep of sand. Um, and it just like saps your momentum mm-hmm. or like puts you over the bars. Um, so I'm hoping this year I can just float through it and not have to. Are there a lot of crashes in that race? Cause like if you're in a pack and you're cut in the front hits. Yeah. Such a fast. Um, uh, I'd say that I think I've done it two years in the last both times that both that sandy section and the mountain bike sector seemed a little bit uh carnage for okay. sure like and and luckily sand like i like i don't mind crashing in sand it's it's soft i'd rather not but yeah if, if but i'm going if to i'd rather go, go there <laughs> um but it's a it's a great course i'm really curious to see it's usually in september this year it's what late august so yeah hopefully it's not super duper hot but and last year Probably. i i didn't know but i had covid so like oh. i did the pre-ride and felt great um and then on race day i, I had zero legs like just nothing, completely flat nothing was there like i think i came in man 30 minutes slower than my previous year uh going into it with like significantly higher fitness and i was just like man i'm a terrible human being That's an athlete like i had no idea <laughs> yeah and then i rode the next day I got on the bike and was like, man, like I still like the legs are kind of there, but I just don't mm-hmm. feel right. And went home, took a COVID test. And then literally the next 10 days I was like destroyed, Dead. like absolute zombie. Mm. Yeah. That's a bummer. So and that's the shitty thing about like racing. Cause they don't happen very often. And so like when something goes wrong, it's just like, God, all that. Dude, time I mean, and preparation and and some of it is within your control but most of the times it's, it's not yeah like racing robidoux and having tornadoes like <laughs> touchdown on the course the night before like like you can't even be mad about that yeah right you're just like well that makes sense like i'm not racing um and you try to like put it into perspective there were like athletes that were camping like in tents on the course right or like at the start line and and they're like rushing to shelters and you're just like, you're the last thing on your mind is like, Oh, but my fitness is so high right now. Yeah. So it's, it's like, I need to survive this yeah. tornado. <laughs> so like sometimes like, yeah, it doesn't go wrong or it doesn't go right. And you're, you can be pissed, right. Or uh-huh. like you bonk or whatever. And like, that's on you. But then there's certain times where you're just like, yeah, whatever. Like there's nothing I can do. Let's just go today. home and rework the plan. Yeah. So. Hmm. Well, uh, what, I always get a bunch of questions from, you know, the world of TikTok of like beginners and people like getting into the sport. So from like a coach standpoint and just kind of, I don't know, all the knowledge you have in the sport, kind of like what's that, I don't know, those basic rules you would kind of give people wanting to get into it. Because I get a lot of people like wanting to, they're just like, well, it's like, what's your training look like? I'm like, don't, don't even think of that word. Like just go well, ride your bike. Yeah, I think it's a it's a spectrum of things. Like yeah. you know, it, it starts. Things need to start light and fun, mm-hmm. and over time can become more detailed and more focused. Yeah. Um, I think it also depends on age mm-hmm. of the athlete, motivation of the athlete. But really, I think the f- the first first and foremost is a get a bike, and then just go ride it. Yeah. Right, like 
uh, you don't need to start training right mm-hmm. away. I think, I think a lot of it is developing and the like and curating the passion for writing. And if you have that passion, um, you're a, you're going to see improvement pretty quickly anyway. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the biggest mistakes I see is people just starting with way like a ton of volume right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, yeah, I bought this bike. I've never ridden a bike and now I'm doing 250 miles a week or 30 That's hours a so week. <laughs> it is. And it's, it's hard. Cause a lot of times we can, it's a low enough impact sport that we feel like we can get away with it. Yeah. Like it's not like running. No, like running, man. Can you imagine just no. like doing a 20 hour week on your first week? Like, I feel like you would implode, but on the bike, you can get kind of like lulled into this like false sense of, oh, I can, I can do this sustainably. And it's, so I'd say like first and foremost, it's just ride, Mm -hmm. ride. Uh, I can't even remember. There was a pro back in the day that said it might've been, I don't know if it was LeMond or, or someone, but it was like ride every day, ride often, ride everything you can ride, right? Uphill, downhill, techie stuff, um, like learn how to ride your bike, learn how to, to, to steer, how to like bike body separation, like how to descend and then start introducing structure. Yeah. Um, start like, and this is where I have a lot of athletes, young athletes that come to me and they're like, I have a power meter, I have heart rate monitor, like I have all these tools and I love it. But I think that it's almost more beneficial to take a step back and learn how to ride by feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and learn how to be like an intuitive rider and learn like in your gut where your limits are, like yeah. what you can, what you can sustain, what you can't kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think like first and foremost, like just, just go spin, just ride mm-hmm. with friends, make it social, then start picking out races. If that's interesting to you, like some people don't want to race at all, mm-hmm. but they still want to be fast. Well, that's the great thing I think about gravel. Like most of the people out there are just there to totally. just go ride and yeah. like have a day on the bike. Like very few people are out there to go try and take a podium for sure on gravel. Yep. Like it's very rare. And that's the main thing I tell people is just like, make sure you just have a healthy relationship with it. For sure. Cause even still now, like this week, next, like I'll probably get or cross like 5,000 miles on the year. Mm-hmm. And very rarely do I sprinkle in like very structured interval training. Yeah. Like I'll do some here and there, like it's kind of fun, but for the most part, it's like, I just want to go ride my bike and for sure. I try and put it in like a good pace, but. Well, it's funny cause I gravel it. Uh, I've heard it compared to the mullet, you know, right? Like business in the front party in the back. <laughs> and I think that's such a good, uh, descriptor for, for gravel. Cause uh-huh. you've got those people that are drilling it on the front and then literally uh, like I ride for chamois butter yeah. and if you saw like their, um, I don't remember what they call them, but they had these little aid station su- support zone type things at steamboat and they're literally like throwing bacon at you. They're doing like whiskey hand ups. Like it's, I can't imagine so like Stetna or someone like stopping and getting a piece of bacon and whiskey. There's a picture of Lachlan at the Breck Epic. Okay. Lachlan, I can expect. I he's, would at 100%. The, he's in first at the front of a race at the Breck Epic. It's like a six day mountain bike stage race. And, uh, yeah, takes a whiskey hand yep. up on course, throws it back and just like keeps pedaling. So there like, are definitely exceptions is... to the rule, but I'd say yeah, for yeah, the yeah. most but, part, yes. it's like pros at the front and then absolute, just like 
party in the yeah. back. And I love that. I think people will come in like big Hawaiian shirts and mm-hmm. like even some costumes sometimes and really funky. I've never seen so many like cut off jean shorts yeah. on grown men in my life than like the back <laughs> of a gravel race. And I love it. I'm here for it. Yeah. And like immediately when you cross the line, it's, it's beers and hanging mm-hmm. out and it's not this competitive atmosphere. And yeah. even, even the guys competing against each other, like at the front of the race, it's yeah telling the war stories and like talking about each part of the course and it's not this like not talking to the other riders for sure like even even the front like keegan and lachlan and p and all those guys yeah like everyone's just hanging out it's not like these things you see in nba or nfl and big like fuck you and right. puffing your chest out and well, i think that's what makes cycling so unique is that even though it is an individual sport well at least in gravel, in gravel right like it's it's the complete opposite almost of world tour it's an individual sport with where it is more effective to ride with your competitors as a team yep. to some extent yeah right and so i think there is uh, a level of like respect and camarader- camaraderie like in the peloton, at least on the gravel side of things that mm-hmm. I, I think is super special. Yeah. Well, and even in the, like in the pro tour, after every stage, like whoever's winning, like everyone's coming up Yeah, yeah. and, you know, patting them on the back and shaking their hand. And it's funny, like I would listen to occasionally Lance's recaps mm-hmm. and he's Lance Armstrong. So he's just like, <laughs> Why are they friends? Like we never would have never I would have never shaken his hand. I'm like, dude. Oh, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why everyone hates you. Well, and that's like I have a really unique um a unique I don't want to say platform necessarily, but I have with our development program mm-hmm. with White Pine like I have this ability to to hopefully shape to some extent what the future of cycling is going to look like through our juniors. And like the culture, the culture, power. the respect, yeah, yeah. and and I look at cycling of the '90s or or Lance or whatever, and I'm like, okay, don't make that, yeah, right? Don't like, do that. <laughs> and then that. I look at riders, you know, like Lachlan or like Alex House is a really good example yeah. of just like some of the friendliest dudes out there, for sure. And one of the biggest compliments I've gotten, um, which I, wasn't even about me, but like I I went into the Alpine Loop. I think this was late last year and there was a group of um maybe 10 ladies at the top of the ride like that were super nice really chatty and one of them came over and like first of all this was amazing complimented me on my kit and how nice. i'm i'm very matchy match yeah i had like a blue helmet blue kit blue like shoelaces and she was just like i'm so impressed yeah and i was like thank you for noticing and she was like that brand though like it's so familiar and she's like oh my kid races Nika and got home from a race, like every race and says, those damn white pine kids smoke me every single time. And I can't even be mad because yeah. they're all so nice. Yeah. And I was like, that is the best compliment that yeah. I could ever be given as a coach is that. They're our, kicking ass and they're nice. <laughs> yeah. Our goal to like contribute to the future of cycling uh-huh. is in creating good human beings who are fast on their bike Yeah. rather than a bunch of like little turd kids that are super strong, but don't mm-hmm. you know don't talk don't don't talk to the their competitors or don't try to grow the sport in a meaningful way they just want yeah they just want you know koms or or to look fast or whatever yeah and that's and for like me personally i think i see it a lot of the time 
whenever there's someone that's just like so fast or so strong or just you know better than a lot of people everyone is just so stoked to see how good they are yeah like you see a performance and you're just like damn like, yeah what a day on the bike and everyone's just like so stoked for for whoever is having that day for sure and it's never this bitterness or resentment it's just always support i think across it's like the board. where's the bitterness gonna get you yeah right like support can light a fire within yourself like that wow can can light a fire within yourself to to be better mm -hmm. but to be bitter or like uh they won again like that's not going to help anybody no it's not going to it's not going to make you feel better as mm -hmm. a human being and then like i've had a kind of navigate that relationship with myself and just comparing because mm -hmm. there is that competitive drive still in everybody um and like wanting to get better and then like seeing numbers and like seeing all that and so yeah there's definitely weeks where that will get this year has been okay in the springtime it got pretty bad for yeah. me just like always on strava like always looking at everyone's stuff and i'm like oh man like i'm not dude again and i'm like but that's not why i started riding it's not why i ride it's for not, sure no and honestly the reason like i'm never going to be a pro like, like i know that's a, not the as a coach here. that's my biggest struggle like with my athletes just and make I sure was, they don't do that. Yeah. And I have to try to explain that at least my mindset on it is that comparison is like the death of personal progress. Mm -hmm. If you are constantly trying to, to live up to somebody else's expectation or somebody else's ability, yeah, you're no longer progressing yourself as an athlete or a person. Like mm -hmm. you're just trying to replicate somebody else and what somebody else is doing. Yeah. Um, and we <clears throat> like mental health in sport, I feel like is such a delicate balance to begin with and working with as many junior athletes as I do, like the amount of burnout that I see, the amount of like, why can't I do what this person does? Like they're doing 30 hour weeks, but like 15 kills me yeah. and they spiral and it, it, it's not healthy. And yeah. I think really just we as, as human beings and as athletes should be content and focused on ourselves and like what we can do to better ourselves and, mm -hmm. and not pay attention to what other people are doing. Cause we only see a snippet of other people's lives. Yeah. Right. Like if we, we look only at Strava, see the highlights. Yeah. And I mean, even Strava, like day to day, we see to some extent what they want to see or what they want us to see. And we also don't know how much they were actually suffering or have you yeah, felt good. And, and the, like the accuracy yeah. too, right? Like, I don't think I've updated my FTP on Strava in like five years. Mm -hmm. So if you were to go look at my intervals, like it might say that I'm spending six hours a week doing VO2 efforts and maybe that's endurance <laughs> for me now, yeah. right? And so now all of a sudden someone's like, oh my gosh, like Kyle's doing six hours a week of VO2. Like I'm a terrible human being. I got to step it up. And then they, they wreck themselves. Yeah. Like comparing yourself to anybody else is never going to be a healthy option. Yeah. Like as it goes, comparison's the thief of joy. Yeah. And, uh, and that will spiral pretty quickly. Yeah. Your uh, self-worth should never be dictated by someone, what someone else is doing. Yeah. And, uh, and you always, you always see the outcomes, um, and you never see the progress mm -hmm. and that progress needs to look different for everybody. Like some people, yeah. Do you have the time just to not, think about anything else yeah. and ride and spend a lot of time in recovery and eating right and doing everything. And, and that's the thing I've learned across 
like all aspects of my life, especially like in the creative field as well. And like what I do, you know, to make a living, like you see these like end products. Yeah. And you're just like, what in the hell? And you just don't see any of the progress that anyone does. For sure. And so that's, what's like scary. Cause then kids are like, well, why am I not there? It's like, have you put in five years of effort? Right. You know? Yeah, I, I'm glad that you've already cussed today because I didn't know if I could, what, what I could sprinkle <laughs> in and get away with. But there's a, a Jay Z quote that I always like. I don't even remember what song it was, but literally, like, it's just what you eat doesn't make me shit. And that's uh, something that I have to always remind myself of. Like, even as a coach, like, I look at what other coaches are doing and I'm like, oh, should I be doing that? Or mm-hmm. should, should I change my entire philosophy because this guy's doing that? And it's like, no, what they do shouldn't affect what I do or shouldn't affect my outcomes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, in, it's an interesting balance of, of trying to better yourself and not compare yourself either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of what's, what are the few things that you do or teach to kind of help people like kind of navigate that? Um, I, I feel almost guilty saying I hate comparison because there are certain times that I try to get athletes to compare themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm going to use Keegan again as an example, just because he's a phenomenal athlete and all of his data is out there. Like if you go yeah. on, on Strava, you can see everything that he does. But I do say if, if you are going to compare yourself to anybody, or if you are going to try to replicate something like pick the, the best qualities or what, whatever is going to make the most affect the most change in your training. And so one of them is recovery. Yeah. And if it's like, if, if there's one thing I want you to learn from a pro like Keegan, it's that that dude recovers just as hard as he trains. Mm-hmm. Right. That, like yeah, if you look I've at heard from some riders, you look at his recovery rides and he is in zone one for an hour, 15 minutes and never even like tickles into zone two. Yeah. And, and I've heard he's, uh, incredibly, uh, puts a ton of focus on sleep. Yeah. Like I mean, the, the I would focus assume you'd have to on like getting eight and nine hours yeah. is like pretty insane. So first of all, I tell people don't compare yourself to pro athletes, but if you're, if you're going to, if you're this, going is, to. this is what I want you to look at yeah. first of all. But second of all, like I try to, we focus really heavily on, on process goals and, and try to minimize outcome goals as much as possible mm-hmm. because outcome goals, I think lead you down that rabbit hole of, who else has achieved that goal or who else has reached that outcome. Yeah. And so if it's like, if an athlete comes to me and they're like, yeah, I want to win NICA state championships. Cool. So do you and 8,000 other students in mm-hmm. Utah. Like that's. Well, and in the sport of cycling, like that day just might not be your day. For sure. And so if you, if you know, air quotes fail on that goal, then it's like, what did I just spend the last six months? And all of a sudden your self-worth is tied into an outcome yeah. that you can't control. Yeah. So the first thing I tell them is like, like, Hey, let's outcome, outcome goals. Sh- sure. Kind of like, I think it's great to have like that, you know, the BHAG, the big hairy audacious goal, like that you're striving towards, mm-hmm. but that isn't the end all be all. Yeah. It's, you know, what little miniature steps can we take now to make that, you know, more likely of a possibility rather yeah. than like yes or no achieving, not achieving. Mm-hmm. And whether that's, you know, saying, Hey, like you want to win States. So what are 10 things that we can do process wise to make that more likely? And whether mm-hmm. that's like, okay, I need to be a better technical rider. So I'm going to spend time working on skills. Um, things that I control, like if I flat, 
is that going to take me out of a race? Do you have plugs and a CO2? Like that's, you know, like little yeah, tiny little things. Yeah. So I try to like break things down into like manageable bite-sized processes that athletes can can see and can hopefully achieve relatively quickly that mm -hmm. in succession lead to big achievements, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I definitely like that a lot because you're going to be much better off if, you know, every week if you hit your dedicated goal of recovery and like nutrition goals like that's going to compound over the next six months For to sure. be way better than just like yeah hyper focusing on the race six months down the road and you're just like over skipping the things you should be doing i like to think of it too as like we don't have this here but the lottery everyone's like oh when i win the lottery and it's like, that's a massive outcome goal that you have zero control of. <laughs> yeah. But what are the processes? Like step one, I need a lottery ticket, Yeah. right? That's going to increase my likelihood of winning the lottery yeah. by X percent. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden my 0% chance of, you know, making billions becomes a 99.9% .9 chance I'm not going <laughs> to win billions. Yeah. But then I buy 10 lottery tickets and I'm yeah, like, yeah. cool, I'm at 88%, you know? So it's all these little baby steps um, that make you a better athlete in the short term when combined will make you a better athlete in the long term. Mm. Um, and I think another thing to avoid like the comparison trap, I guess, is I try to convince athletes to almost act as a business person and kind of create like a mission, a set of mission, vision values for themselves. Um, and I think if they can define themselves as a person and as an athlete and what they love about sport and what their their personal goals and like um like dreams i guess are yeah then all of a sudden they're not just looking at what others are doing and wanting that they're creating their own sense of purpose yeah that's that's really good yeah i like that because you see everyone else you know the races they're gonna win but it's like well what do you what do you want to do yeah it doesn't matter if that's someone else's goal to go win Leadville or win, you know, X, Y, or Z. And it's, it's an interesting balance for me because I'm always faced with wanting to support athletes, but also needing to be the person to tell them this is a terrible idea. The voice of reason. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's hard, especially with juniors too. Um, and he won't mind if I call him out, but I have a, <laughs> an 18 year old athlete that I'm working with and, yeah. and I've, I've had a lot of come to Jesus talks with him about like, dude, I know you love riding your bike, but we need to recover we need to chill. Mm. That's a huge thing. But also like, I want to support you. And if you have something that you want to do that maybe isn't super in line with your overarching like developmental plan, like talk to me, let's do it. Yeah. And I got a text last night and he's like, I have a really bad idea. And I'm like, okay, first of all, not a strong start, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, he's like, I want to, I want to ride 200 miles on my bike. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, is there a race? And he's like, no, no, no. I just want to do it. Like break the mental I barrier. Love it. He's yeah. like, I, I really just want, I love spending that much time on my bike. And so rather than just being like, well, you're an XCO racer. That's a stupid idea. I'm like, let's, I'm like, put together a route. Tell me the details. Like, you know, like, let's find a point in the season where this makes sense to do. Mm -hmm. And like, I try to use these, you know, A as carrots to chase, get through the season, get through what you have to do. Yeah. But also like, is this going to enhance, is me finding a time for him to do this going to enhance his love for the sport and his like drive to keep succeeding? Or is me saying no going to like demoralize him and deflate him and mm -hmm. 
cause more problems down the road and yeah. like hatred hatred of the sport yeah so it's an interesting balance yeah i mean and riding 200 miles on your bike is uh quite a different experience than like you know pinning it for two hours for sure like yeah and i love it like i'm in the boat with him like i love just to see what your mind starts to do because it's well, all mental learn what like, you're I capable think, of yeah learn yeah. what you're capable of and i think a lot of times like the big distances it's all mental mm-hmm. especially if you're out there just alone or with like two people i did 2020 i did a 180 mile solo ride mm-hmm. i kind of got tricked like uh it was when every race got canceled and all these like oh. virtual things were popping oh, up oh yeah and at the time uh, i was riding for amp human which i don't i think is rolled into a different brand now and they were doing this like sea otter classic stage thing where they're like hey like we want all, all of our athletes to sign up for this you know a stage of this race or a, mm-hmm. a version of a race and i got one that was like whatever the equivalent of 150 miles in kilometers okay. and in my mind the way they the way it was written on paper i thought i had to do it all in one shot <laughs> turns out i had 30 days to do it <laughs> <laughs> so so i take off from like my house in harriman uh. and i hop on highway six and i ride out to um fillmore jeez and uh it was cool like my wife was there she like met me in a few spots just to like make sure i didn't die yeah um and then was going to give me a ride back from fillmore and I was like, well, you know, I'm like, might as well just keep going 150 miles. Like, so I went, I think it was the same day as Lodija. Oh, okay. And I was getting some like FOMO. I was like, screw it. I'm going to do 180 miles. I'll just roll up to Scipio. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, dude, it, the, the whole day was this like constant state of like personal growth. Every single pedal stroke past whatever my longest distance was at that mm-hmm. point, like maybe 120 miles, like every pedal stroke past that, I was in my own like sense of wow of like, man, like I can, this is rad. Like yeah. I can do this. Like, look what my body's doing. Like, you know, I've been eating for the last six hours, just gels and nutrition drink yeah. and the occasional like chicken nuggets from McDonald's. Yeah. Like it's just super impressive. And, and whenever an athlete comes to me and they're like, I have this really dumb idea. I'm like, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Like, if that's going to make you stoked and make you a happier cyclist, like, let's make it work. Yeah, I'm a big advocate for just pushing pushing the limits that way. Yeah. Um, I think there's a ton of growth that can come from it, and like what you can learn from yourself. And and it's a lot of time to think. Yeah, And navigate your personal problems and things at work and family relationships. And Do you do this too? Like. I have a note on my phone um, that's titled Mid-Ride Thoughts because like I, if I sit down at my desk and I'm like supposed to brainstorm something for business development or whatever, like I will just stare at my screen for Mm -hmm. hours and accomplish nothing. But 10 minutes into a ride, I'm like, oh my God, why haven't we been doing this? So I literally have like a note on my phone that's just this like, this, this, you know, brain vomit of like things that I think of mid ride. And that's where I feel like I can be the most creative is when I'm on the bike. Yeah. I don't, I don't have one during the ride. There'll be times like I'll get done and I'll hurry and just like type bullet points out. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'll revisit them. The See, that just says you have better, later, uh, better memory and retention. <laughs> I think I've had so many concussions and well, I'm like, I would if say I don't it. write this down right now, like it is gone. <laughs> I will say that most of them probably do get lost. Um, but yeah, that type of riding has, you know, transform my life on every aspect, especially mentally. 
um, just be forced to sit out there and just win those mental battles. Cause like, you know, when you're in it, you don't really want to keep riding a lot of the time. Cause like this year I did a 170 miles, yep. uh, solo. And at mile 130, I hit Pine Canyon. And I was just like, what the hell am I doing? Like, I think I, that when I'm 10 miles into a ride and I do Pine Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the first and only time I've done Pine Canyon. Oh, uh, that's trial by fire for and sure. And I hit it and I met some kid on the ride and he asked me what I was doing. And uh, I, was, I was like, yeah, like right now I'm at mile 120. And we were like dropping into Heber. And I was like, I'm going to do Pine Canyon. He's like, have you ever done it? I'm like, no. He's like, you might want to think about skipping it and taking the longer way to park <laughs> yeah, city yeah. and taking the easier way up and i was like no dude that's nice like, though like he at least gave you yeah but like i would just look state, at you and be like okay <laughs> <laughs> what's your name i'll check the obituaries tomorrow yeah so like he started the climb with me and i was like dude i'm like so dead like don't wait because i had to stop twice yep. like i was so fried after 10 hours and just like hitting that wall literal yeah. wall of pine canyon yep. to get up and over and then even like just the last like three days ago me and my buddy went on a bike packing trip and he had never done his longest ride was like 110 i think and yeah the first day we went and did 132 nice on accident <laughs> and <laughs> He had never ridden in the dark, and the last, like, hour and a half was in the pitch dark, like, north of the Graysell Lake, and it was a, it was an experience for him, and experience for me. Like, that yeah. was a big day, and then sleeping in a park and getting two <laughs> hours of sleep and then doing 66 miles the next day. I was like, yeah, this is new. This is all new territory to explore have mentally, sh- physically. And Have I shared my uh, credit card camping route with you? No. So starting on the Utah Idaho border. Okay. Like I don't know, Malad area. Yeah. And then riding south to the Utah Vegas border. Maybe over five days, I think would be the way to do it. It's like Oh, we we have talked about this. Yeah, like four hundred and seventy miles maybe huh. and like forty thousand feet of climbing. I think like an average of between 130 to 150 miles a day. I mean, I'm down. I'm it's trying training for my race in Spain. Exactly. So. I think it'd be, I want to do it. It's doable. All right. Tell me when. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> cool thing about cycling is we get to make stupid decisions with friends and we get friends that like, and hate, like support our stupid decision making. Like the number of times I text someone, I'm like, all right, I need you to talk me out of this. And at the end of it, they're like, tell me when. I'm yeah. like, well, damn, like that didn't work. <laughs> I mean, I'd be, I would be seriously down to do that this fall. Cool. That'd be a massive week. Yeah, I mean, I think the logistics of it are going to be worse than the actual riding. Just trying to, like, figure out. Yeah, and also the thing about routes like that, like, we don't have to think about anything else other than riding. So you can take all day. Yeah. And that's the thing I learned on the bikepacking trip. Like I did 130 miles, and it took us like 11 and a half hours. And I was like, I feel okay. <laughs> like I didn't have to just like pedal down, power out for 10 hours. Like it's it was a, just kind of like it's a weird balance though, because you can't take too long. You don't want to go too slow, right? Because then like then you get 
you go from nine hours of recovery to like I've got four hours to recover yeah. and then I got to do it again. Well, seeing like relatively like where we're at and like how fast we can ride 120 miles, like mm-hmm. we don't have to kill ourselves to For finish sure. it in yeah, yeah. eight hours. Yeah. But yeah, I'm down. I'll have to recruit. Some. Figure it out. I don't know if I know anyone else that would do that. I've got a few, a few dumb friends that I think would be that are as dumb as I am. So huh. I'll try to think of a few more. <laughs> Well, sweet, man. Thanks for uh, sitting down and kind of recapping the yeah, year. Yeah, man. Thanks and, for having me back. Uh, oh, I guess one other question. Like, kind of what's the what's next year looking like for White Pine and any yeah. big? So uh, we will for sure be doing another training camp in the spring. Cool. Uh, we did our first official, like, junior development uh, mountain bike training camp in St. George, and mm-hmm. it was a blast. It was super cool. Uh, we had athletes that, like, went into it with so much doubt on their own ability and it sounds cheesy but came out of it like legitimately transformed in the sense that now when we go for rides they're just like oh i can do that yeah whereas before they'd be like oh, i don't know like that's kind of scary mm-hmm. so i think that was they had never super, done anything like that right yeah i mean the amount of volume that we covered over like four days was just especially for you know traditionally like xco short track style yeah. athletes was just insane and mm-hmm. they, they literally left with like such a big boost of confidence and fitness so we'll do that again hopefully it'll grow and we can get a bunch of people down in st george and make Sweet. it a party yeah um and then really the only thing i'm hedging a lot of bets on this is getting back into leadville because i i cannot believe that i was two minutes short of <laughs> sub nine and it was yes yeah, so it's a literally like it's been three weeks that's all i can think about Jeez. It's just being like, all right, how do I get in? How do I how do I make it happen? So, uh, well, maybe I'll uh, be down there with you. Yeah. Try and go sub nine too. Sweet, <laughs> you got to get that. Uh, I don't want to say goofy looking, but that very unique Vetus. Have you seen that? Uh, there's a guy in Park City. Rapide. Yeah. The, yeah. The like kind of cartoon. Oh, the, that was the custom paint. It's sick. For, uh, it's so cool. So you should get that. I took some pictures of it in C- at Sea Otter. So that's the model I'm getting. Cool. It's a uh, hundred mil front and back. Yep. Yeah. I, I'm so excited. That'd be perfect. Well, sweet, man. Sweet. Thanks, appreciate you. it. Yeah. Appreciate it.